Amen. So starting a new series today, launching in on the book of Jonah, and in reading this and studying for this and kind of gauging where we're at as a body and where we're headed, I think this is a really good fit for us. Uh, I think the book of Jonah is going to speak to us, uh, and I love to go back. You know, you find a lot of times in churches nowadays, mostly in the Gospels, right? Gospels, epistles, Revelation maybe, um, and we kind of neglect maybe to go back to the Old Testament. So I like to spend some time in the Old Testament. Maybe, maybe we'll do Genesis, Exodus, some of those coming up. But Jonah, I think, is a book that really is going to speak to us. And it's interesting because the book of Jonah is probably one that we're all really, well, at least we probably think we're really well acquainted with, right? If you've ever been to children's church as a child or you grew up in a church, you've probably heard the story of Jonah, right? And you know, or at least could tell me the salient points. There's a lot in this story. You know, it's, it's interesting to me. A lot of times the things that we um, will paint on the walls in the preschool, right? We'll put Noah and the ark. That is a terrifying story. Is it not? I mean, if you think about it, right? God says, I'm going to destroy all the earth. Noah, take your family, take the animals, get on the ark. And then he, he, he rains down water. He brings up the, the deep. Everybody dies. And we put that on the preschool wall, right? Jonah is one of those stories also. Um, and, and often in preschool and toddlers and that kind of stuff, we'll put that up on the wall. It's a terrifying story. And we're going to find out why. And, and I don't know if you've been all the way through Jonah. It's a short book. But it ends oddly. Uh, you may want to read it in advance if you don't remember how it ends. It's kind of shocking the way it ends. But I want us to get acquainted with this and see how God gets our attention from this story. I'm going to read. Uh, we're going to go through the whole first chapter today. But we're going to start with just the first three verses. So turn in your Bibles. will also be up on the screen. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now we're going to pause there for just a second. It's a calling. Jonah is receiving a calling. He's receiving a message from the Lord. The Lord's saying, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go. I, uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I've had a little bit of a rough week. And if you asked my family, has dad had a rough week this week? They'd say, Yeah. I don't know, it just happens sometimes, right, that you have a rough week. Um, and and I, was, uh, I was reading this morning, it was interesting, anybody ever read My Utmost for His Highest? Yeah, I read this morning, August 5th, and poor Lydia, pray for Lydia, she's been sick since we moved here, basically, um, and she's, she's struggling again, uh, keep her in prayer as, as you are, are led and as you think of her. August 5th today, the story is, <laughs> the, the title of it is The Baffling Call of God. I just want to read a little bit of it to you. It says out of Luke 18, it says, All these things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. This is Jesus speaking. And then you go down a couple verses and it says, And they understood none of these things. There's some humor there, right? 
Jesus is like pouring his heart out. If you read the in-between verses, he's like, the Son of Man's going to go. He's going to be crucified. He's going to die. He's going to be buried. He's going to raise again. And they understood none of these things. Anybody? You look at your life. You look at what's going on. You, look at, you try to even understand yourself. Why do I feel this way? Why do I think this way? Why do I react this way? And they understood none of these things. I don't know about you. I'm going to read a little bit of the beginning of this. It says, God called Jesus Christ to what seemed an unmitigated disaster. Jesus Christ called his disciples to see him put to death. He led every one of them to the place where their hearts were broken. Jesus Christ's life was an absolute failure from every standpoint but God's. But what seemed failure from man's standpoint was a tremendous triumph from God because God's purpose is never man's purpose. I think part of my issue in the last couple of weeks, months, has been thinking, we're going to finally be done moving in. <laughs> Everything's going to be fixed. Everything's going to be set. Everything's going to, and we can kind of take a breath. This continues, it says, there comes a baffling call of God in our lives also. The call of God can never be stated explicitly. It is implicit. The call of God is like the call of the sea. No one hears it, but the one who has the nature of the sea in him, similar to having Christ in you. It cannot be stated definitely what the call of God is because his call is to be in comradeship and relationship with himself for his purposes and the test to believe that God knows what he is after. These things do not happen by chance. They happen, in, happen entirely in the decree of God. God is working out his own purposes. But we want to be comfortable. We want to have arrived. We want to be done unpacking and done moving and done fixing a 90-year-old house. I don't, I know, that never happens, right? The plumber and the electrician that were here in the house in the last two weeks all said the same thing. You know, get, get used to it, right? We want to achieve that place where we can say, I'm there, now I can take a breath. But is that man's thinking? Yes. <laughs> or is that God's thinking? Jonah uh, who knows? Well, actually, we're going to find out some of why. But at least initially, he receives this God from call. And look what it says in verse 3. But Jonah ran away. <laughs> Anybody ever feel like running? But Jonah ran away from the Lord, and he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Anybody ever read out of the Amplified Bible? This is like a four, this is like a comparative Bible. It's got four different translations. I love to look at the Amplified Bible sometimes. I want to read you just one verse. Uh, it's that verse we just read because it kind of amplifies it. It says, Jonah ran, uh, rose up to flee to Tarshish from being in the presence of the Lord as his prophet he went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, the most remote of the Phoenician trading places then known. So where did he go when he decided to run? 
as far away as he knew how to get. He ran as far as he could. He's, he, he, he ran away. Uh, I've entitled these first, well, today's is Defiance, but each of the different weeks, they have a different, a different title. There's going to have a different kind of theme or character or characteristic that I think God wants us to receive or pull out of that. Defiance is the theme, I think, of this chapter. <laughs> Defiance can be defined as open resistance or bold disobedience. At its core, defiance, by definition, is the rejection of leadership. The Lord said, go. You can think of some other people the Lord said go to. He told uh, Abram and Sarai at the time before they were renamed Abraham and Sarah. He said, go to the place I'll show you. And he told them how he would multiply their, their offspring to, the, to, to match the stars in the sky or the sands at the seashore. And they went. This is a, this is a different time, right? God says, Jonah, go. And I'm telling you exactly where to go, to the great city of Nineveh. Preach against it. But Jonah ran away. So help me out here. How do you think God would define defiance? What do you guys think? I know it's going to be, just talk loud, the fans are running. Say that really loud, Michelle. Bold disobedience. Not just disobedience, but bold. Any parents here? Are your kids ever boldly disobedient? (laughs) Yeah, disobedience, not just like, you know, they're kind of like secretive about it. Maybe mom and dad won't notice. Well, there's some of that goes on, right? But bold disobedience, in your face disobedience. Do you think that this is the kind of disobedience Jonah displayed to God? It was pretty much in your face. God said, go, and he said, I'm going to catch a ship. And I'm going to go as far as the known world in this culture knows to go and get away. He says, I'm out of here. Now let's bring it down to a personal level. When are you defiant? Just yell it out, (laughs) unless you don't want to. Every day. Okay, good answer. (laughs) Anybody else want to want to add to that, or does that pretty well sum it up? Pretty much sums it up. Okay, thank you. What are the kinds of things you're defiant about? I was talking to Rebecca last night, and I said, you know what, Rebecca, sometimes if somebody, and this is not a good character trait, I'm just being honest here, and some of you probably share it. If somebody tells you, you should do this, you don't want to do it. Sometimes I'm like that. And I suspect at one time or another, we probably all are. You should really do this. Well, because you said so, (laughs) now I don't want to. That's something the Lord works on in me. And I suspect that if you have that characteristic, it's something the Lord is working on in you as well. And you probably know, and maybe you don't. Maybe you don't even realize it. Just start to, to think about your interactions with people and how they go day to day, week to week. Do you have an obstinance, a defiance 
to leadership or a defiance to authority. Can you think of some stories from Scripture that kind of illustrate some defiance? Besides the story of Jonah, throw out some others. Who? The people of Israel. Oh, true. Pretty much their whole history, right? <laughs> they were defiant to the Lord. Good point. Anybody else? Saul. Okay. Anybody else? Peter. Yes. I'm just going to walk down here where I can hear you guys. Is it too weird if I stand down here some? Hi. Anybody else? David's affair with Bathsheba. That was the one I wrote down. You guys know the story. David's up on the roof. He had everything he wanted. He was king. But he was bored one night, so he went up on the roof. See what I can see. And he saw Bathsheba bathing, and he said, go get that woman, bring her to me. They brought her. He found out she was married. They had an affair anyway. She became pregnant. She went back home. He called his commander, and he said, hey, send, uh, send Uriah to me. Uriah came. He asked him a couple questions. How's the war going? How's the battle? And he's like, it's good. You know, uh, this is happening and that's happening. They ate together. He sent him away, hoping he would go home and see his wife so that he would have plausible deniability that it was his child. Well, Uriah was a stand-up guy. And so he went and slept at the gate with the other soldiers and men who just happened to be in town, whether they were on leave or whatever. David heard about it. He called him back the next night and he said, why didn't you go? And he said, uh, I didn't go because the men of Israel that are fighting and the men of Judah that are fighting are out in the field. They're fighting. Uh, I couldn't go home in good conscience and spend time with my wife. So I hung out with the soldiers. So David invited him back the next night, got him drunk at dinner, <laughs> right? Sent him back out hoping he'd go home. He didn't. He went back to the gate. So that, for David, was a problem that he had to fix. So what he did is he called uh, down a, a message to the front, and he said, when Uriah gets back, what I want you to do is send him out to where the fighting is fiercest and then pull back so that he is slain. He actually told the commander, this is what I want you to do. That's pretty bold. That's pretty defiant, <laughs> right? And that's exactly what happened. Well, they sent a messenger back to give David the story, uh, and, and when he sent him back, he said, you know what, the king might be angry when he hears some people died because some other, uh, other people were, were injured and died in that, that little scuffle that Uriah was killed in, and he said, so when you get to the end of the story, make sure and tell King David, make sure and tell King David that uh, moreover, Uriah died. He said, add that on at the end, just whatever you say, just put that on the end. So the guy came back, probably fearing for his life because, you know, you kill the messenger, right? told the story, and he said, moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. And he's like, okay, you can go back. And after a period of mourning, he took Bathsheba to be his own wife. It's a big cover-up. I don't know who he thought he was fooling. <laughs> and there's fallout from that. Some other examples, we're not going to go through them all. Adam and Eve and the temptation in the garden, right? And put the tree in the middle. Don't eat it. It's the only thing in the whole garden you can't touch is that one tree. What they do? They defied God. They ate from the tree. Uh, Moses, who, who was told when the, the Israelites needed to drink to speak to the rock, he said. 
Lord said, go to the rock, speak to the rock, it'll, it'll, it'll let water forward for the people to drink. He went and he struck it twice. You all remember that story? And because he struck it twice, the Lord said, well, now because you were, you were defiant, you were obstinate, you were disobedient to me, now you don't get to go in. This is after the whole 40 years are over. Now you don't get to go in to the land that's promised. There's fallout from defiance. So let's see what the fallout is. It says, in, uh, starting in 4, it says, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, <laughs> where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. This guy, right? Not only did he defy God, not only did he run away from God, not only did he put the ship and everybody on it in danger, he went to sleep. He's comfortable in his disobedience, comfortable enough to take a nap. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? (laughs) Call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the soldiers said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out Who is responsible for this calamity? They cast lots. They fell on Jonah. So they went to him and they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What did you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Got the the second degree and the third degree here. He answered, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. This terrified them (laughs) because they already knew something. It says they asked, what have you done? And the thing they already knew when, when he got on the boat, they knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. It's like, hey, I'm getting on the boat. I'm buying passage to the furthest place I can get away from here. I'm running from my God. (laughs) I, maybe there was a little guilty conscience thing there. I don't know why he told them, but they already knew. It says, the sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? So first we see he was pretty comfortable in his defiant nature, wasn't he? He defied God. He got on the ship. He, he didn't have any worry or concern. Something was going to happen. He, he wasn't looking down the road. He didn't know that it's true that according to the way God works, there's fallout there's repercussions for, um, does it falling out? <laughs> the mic's falling out. There are repercussions for disobedience. There's repercussions for defiance. But he was so far removed from, from what the Lord wanted him to do and the call that the Lord was making on him that he went on the ship and he went to sleep. And he took a nap. And it wasn't until the people on the ship came and woke him from his slumber that he realized the gravity of the situation. Just kind of remember that. Maybe some of you can think back to a time you were caught in disobedience or you were wrapped up in defiance to, to such a point, to such a degree that somebody had to shake you. (laughs) Maybe that was God. Maybe God shook you. Maybe a life event shook you. Maybe family shook you. 
and, and said, look, you're caught up in something. You're defying God. You're defying God's leadership in this area, and it's wake-up call time because the repercussions are coming. Look what it says, starting in verse 11. This is Jonah's response. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down? What should we do to you? He said, pick me up and throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. That is, it sounds like overreacting, doesn't it? But at this point, Jonah realizes the only way these people can be saved is if I leave the ship. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. They were worried about taking Jonah's life. It says, Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O Lord, have done as you please. Then they took Jonah, they threw him overboard, and guess what? The raging sea became calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. These guys were worried about what was happening. And they shook Jonah out of his slumber. And they're like, what do we do? How do we escape the wrath of, of whatever this is that you've done? See, that's part of what defiance can do, isn't it? It doesn't just affect you. It can affect the people around you. Jonah's defiance, save for now, that if he had never gone, his defiance would have affected the people he was called to in Nineveh, right? There, there is that. But in the immediate term, it was affecting the people he was around in this ship. Because if they hadn't thrown him overboard, probably the whole ship would have ended up sinking. The whale would have got Jonah anyway, right? We, we know that's coming. I mean, God was going to do what God was going to do. Jonah's like, okay, save these guys, just throw me overboard. Our, our disobedience, our, our rejection of leadership, our, our defiance to what we know we should do affects not only us, but the people around us. Now look at verse 17. I love this verse. <laughs> this is the verse we all know, right? But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. This passage, the way it flows, the Lord said, go, but Jonah ran away. But the Lord provided a great fish. <laughs> I love the, the flow of the, the, the passage here and how the story goes. The Lord still had a plan for Jonah. He still had a purpose for him. And we're going to continue building on this next week. But for now, I want us to focus on, on a couple of points. And then we'll, we'll pick up next week on, on part two. In spite of Jonah's rebellion, God wasn't done with him yet, was he? You ever feel like that? Maybe you're, you're caught in a place where you can't get out of it. You've rebelled. 
you've disobeyed. You've worked yourself into a corner or a situation that's affecting you and those around you, and you don't know how to get out of it. Somebody needs to throw you overboard, right? (laughs) Maybe, figuratively, something drastic might need to happen. But in spite of Jonah's rebellion, God wasn't done with him yet. He had a purpose for him. Jonah was only making it harder on himself by being defiant. Have you ever figured that out? (laughs) Defiance only makes it harder, doesn't it? Kicking against what's good and what's right, whether it's from a parent or some other authority figure or God, kicking against what, what you're told to do, what you're directed to do, what you're supposed to do, what you're called to do, kicking against that only makes it harder for you. It only makes it more difficult for you. When we think we're done for, God may not be done. Right? You ever, you ever been there? You, you thought, I am too broken for God. I am too unusable now for God. I've done too much. I've seen too much. I've caused too many bad things to happen. You're maybe functioning from that cosmic justice scale a little bit. We all can fall back onto that sometimes. My, my bad so far outweighs my good that I could never be good again. I could never be usable again. That's, that's flawed thinking. That's not the way the Bible teaches us to think, is it? No matter how bad, no matter how broken, no matter how disobedient you have been or currently are, God can still use you. That's the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Christ came for those who were broken, do you remember when he came and he was hanging out with, with what the Pharisees called the sinners? The guys that were drinking, they were partying, they were probably doing all kinds of sketchy things. Jesus was hanging out with these guys and the Pharisees would look at him and they said, why is he hanging out with them? Remember what Jesus said? It's the sick that need a physician. It's the sick that need healing, not those that are already righteous. Jesus came for the broken the broken in spirit, the broken in heart, those that broke themselves. <laughs> and, and that's really where it's at, isn't it? We're broken because we broke ourselves, because we were defiant, because we were disobedient. We broke ourselves. When we think we're done for and we're, we're, we're believing the lie that God can't use me anymore, God can use you. And God will use you if we stop being defiant and we turn back to Christ, right? Christ came to save the defiant. He came to save the broken. He came to save each of us who have at one way or another kicked some dirt in the face of God like Jonah did. It's like, oh, yeah, you you want me to go, God? You're going to have to catch me first. (laughs) Don't say that to God. That's a dangerous thing to say to God. Take Peter, for example. Here's a perfect example of a guy. Um, John 13, 36 through 38. Simon Peter asked Jesus, he said, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot go, you cannot follow, but you will follow later. 
Peter said, why can't I follow you now? I will lay my life down for you. Jesus answered, saying, will you really lay your life down for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. We know what happens, right? How do you think Peter felt after that exchange? Haven't I seen you before? No. You must be thinking of someone else. No, I'm pretty sure I saw you hanging out with those 11 other guys in that Jesus character who's in there with Pilate right now. I'm pretty sure I saw you. Nope, that wasn't me. I'm certain it was you. It wasn't me. (laughs) Right? I'm not very good with my rooster impersonations. What do you think he felt like at that moment? At that moment when he realized what Jesus said was going to happen, happened. Defeated, unusable, broken, unworthy, unredeemable, possibly. Oh, I, I could never get out of this now. Jesus would never take me back after that happened. John 21 says, when they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? I love that he asked him this three times. He said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Simon, son of Jonah, do you truly love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Third time he asked him, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was hurt. (laughs) That's, I love that verse. Peter was hurt because Jesus kept asking him, do you love me? Peter didn't catch the the symbology. He didn't catch what was happening there. He he denied him three times. Jesus was giving him three times to say, I love you and I'll follow you. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself. You went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands. Somebody else will dress you. Somebody else will lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of life and death that was ahead of Peter by which he would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Peter, one of the, the, the 11 plus 1 made 12, and then Paul, one of the, the 13 guys, right, that, that Jesus Christ used in his absence through the Holy Spirit to start a movement of churches that is still alive today, that we're a part of. We stand on very tall shoulders of Peter and Paul and the other guys that went before us to start the church. Because God can use broken people. He can use defiant defiant people. He can use people who even... (laughs) even turned to God in the face, kicked dirt on him and say, I'm out of here. I'm going to run the other way. If God can use those guys, those guys that have done that, he can use a guy like Jonah. Can't he also use you? Can't he also take you from where you're at in your imperfection, in your defiance, in your disobedience and turn you around, save you and make you usable? I think he can. My answer to that question would be absolutely yes, because I've seen it. I've experienced it in my own life. Many of you have experienced 
because you came to God broken. He called you and he said, come to me. Know my son came and died for you. He carried your sin, your disobedience, your defiance, past, present, and future to the cross where he died for it. And he was buried, and he spent three days in that grave, and he rose again victorious over sin on our behalf that if we would call on his name, on the name of Jesus Christ, and and believe that God raised him from the dead, Scripture says in Romans that we would be saved, saved from our defiance, saved from our disobedience, saved from our bad attitude. I don't know about you guys. I need saving from my bad attitude. Don't ask Lydia if that's true or not. She might have even said once or twice this week, you have a bad attitude today. I'm just being honest with you. I'm just being transparent. Because I don't want you to think, Pastor Sean, he's got it all together. (laughs) No. I'm just like you. And the Lord's working on me a little bit at a time. And like Peter, those words at the end of that passage ring out, follow me. Follow me. It's what the Lord was saying to Jonah, wasn't it? Follow me. It's what he said to Peter, follow me. It's what he says to each of us, unless we lay down our own desires, right? Lay down our own things that we want. Lay down our defiance, our attitudes, and pick up the Christ of Christ and follow him. We don't have any part in him. And he says, you have to follow me. So lay yourself down. Back to that, my utmost for his highest story. Man, it, you, you think you want what you want, and you, you see how it could, yeah, that could fit in God's will. You ever said that to yourself? I think that fits in God's will. Forget that noise. It doesn't need to fit in God's will. It needs to be God's will. And being in God's will is not going to be comfortable. The house is never going to be completely fixed. Everything is not going to be just right. All your relationships are not going to be just perfect. (laughs) Everything is going to be broken because we live in a broken world. And we have to learn to live in brokenness. God didn't call us to a life where he said, follow me and I'll make everything perfect. Right? What did he say to Peter? He said, follow me, and one day somebody will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. You realize that the invitation to follow Christ is an invitation to die, right? When it's written in Luke, take up your cross and follow me, what do you think he meant by that? What's the cross for? It was an instrument of death, right? They put, a, they put it in the ground, they nailed somebody to it, or they hung them on it, and they waited until they died. So when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, he is not inviting you to the comfortable life where everything's finally straightened out. I needed to hear that. I needed to be reminded of that again this week. And I suspect that each of us needs that reminder that this life isn't about getting it all together. It's not about having it all. It's not about arriving 
So I want to close with a question. Have you defied God? Have you defied Him? You may be able to, right now you're like, yes, I can see that one point. Or you may be just able to say, yeah, in general. <laughs> or yes, every day. Somebody said that, right? Wendy, how, how often do you defy God? I think it was Joseph. Joseph's like, every day. Just being honest. Are you in a position now where you feel unusable? Just be honest with yourself. If you feel unusable, that's a lie. You may not be ready to be used. <laughs> There's a difference. God may need to do some work on you in your heart, in your life, in your attitude, in your outlook, in your demeanor, in your speech. I, I, I can't speak to what that is. Only God knows what those things are. But he may have to do some work on you first. But are you believing the lie that because you've defied God, you're unusable? Because that is exactly that. It's a lie. God can use you. And he will use you. And in fact, if he wants to use you, he will go, as we can see in the book of Jonah, through great lengths to use you. Why kick against what he wants to do if he's going to do it anyway? Why didn't we learn that when we were children? Why kick against what mom and dad say to do? Because it only makes it worse if we don't do it. It's the same with God. If He wants us to do something, He's going to find a way for us to do it. Why kick against what He wants to do? Why waste all that time? Why not just do it, and then you'll be ready for that next thing? Can you imagine if we just, if the Lord said, go do this thing, okay, I'll do it. Woo! God would be like, that's refreshing. <laughs> Actually did it. And he could direct us and guide us and lead us. When he spoke, we would turn. When he said stop, we would stop. When he'd say speak, we'd speak. When he said shut up, we'd be silent. Instead of wanting to do the opposite, because we have a defiant disorder nature where somebody says don't walk on the grass, we're like, oh yeah? I'm going to walk on that grass just because I can. No one's looking. And we do the thing we're told not to. God, I want you to hear this, God still loves you, just like He still loved Jonah. And as a parent, you probably understand that. You're, you may be in a little bit better position because you've, you've experienced stuff with children where they've done things, but you still love them in spite of it. Maybe children have good experience with that because they've seen their parents do things and they still love them, right? Because parents are not perfect. God still loves you. He wants you to be His, and He will use you. So I'm just going to invite you. Maybe you've come to that place where you have never turned to Him before, and you're like, today, this sounds like you. You're like, yeah, I've never really followed God. I've heard God calling, but I've kicked sand in His face. <laughs> Not today, God. I'm going my own way. Maybe it's time to allow Him to, to pick you up out of your sandbox and place you up on the rock and save you. If you just say, Lord, I've sinned. I've gone my own way. That's what sin is, right? Sin is defiance. That's the definition of sin. Sin is doing what I want to do, not what God says to do. We think we have this list. You know, if God wanted us to have a list of sins, he'd put a book in the Bible called The List of Sins. 
It'd probably be really, it, it, you know, this is the Bible like it is now. This is the Bible with the list of sins in it. Who wants to read that? God didn't say, I'm going to give you a list of sins, don't do them. Instead of all the don'ts, God gave us the do's, right? Follow me, love me, honor me, cherish me, obey your parents. I mean, he, 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 he made some, some pretty simple principles to follow because he loves us and he wants to know us. And so we just go to the Lord and we say, Lord, I've sinned. I've been defiant. I've gone my own way. I've done my own thing. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden did. We, we kind of point back to that as the beginning of defiance, right? Don't eat from the tree. Oh, yeah? I'll show you. I want to be like you. So they took that apple and they ate it so they could know everything God knew. So they could somehow be like God. Isn't that really our problem? We think we can be like God. We can be our own God. That's the root of sin. I want to lead my life. I want to live my way and do my things. When God says the root of defiance in you is sin, it separates us. It separates us from God. It keeps us from being connected with Him. And that's why the separation in the garden happened, because sin entered. When God sent His Son, it was His hand out to us to say, come back. Accept the work of my Son on the cross as a covering for your sin your defiance, and your disobedience. Come back to me. And if we go before the Lord and we say, forgive me for my sin, Lord, I've, I've gone my own way. I've followed my own thing. Save me. Forgive me. He will do it. Maybe you've done that before, but now you're, you're feeling a little Jonah-like, if you will. And the Lord said, I've got something for you. I've got this direction for you. This person I want you to talk to or these people I want you to go to or this thing I want you to do or not doing or not do. And you're, you're holding God off at arm's length. You ever done that? So I don't want to decide about that today, God. <laughs> I don't want to do that today, God. Or maybe you, you're, you're on the run like Jonah was. Maybe you've run so far, now you're asleep. Isn't it interesting how that story, you ever been there? You've been asleep. You, you're so far from God. You were once connected to Him, but now you've moved so far from Him that you're asleep and you don't even realize it until somebody shakes you out of your slumber. And that's what this is today. This is God shaking us in our slumbers. And wake up. Follow me. It's not about you. It's about following Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We confess to you, Lord, that we've been defiant. Maybe even holding you off at arm's length. Maybe even asleep about some things. Lord, wake us up. Shake us out of our slumber that we might be reconnected with you, reunited with you, or maybe even for the first time come to know you as Lord and Savior through Christ. I pray, Lord, that those things will happen today. You will continue to speak to us, not just now 
in this place as we read and as we study, but Lord, as we go from this place, let the words that we've heard of Scripture today resonate in our heart. Let them continue to do their work in our soul and in our mind and in our heart to identify attitudes. That's what Scripture does. We, we know that from, from Scripture itself. That, it, that one of the things it does is it, it goes in and it identifies thoughts and attitudes of the heart that are wrong. So, Lord, today I welcome that. That's a hard thing to say, Lord. I pray that each of us here today, so Lord, we welcome your word in our hearts that it might judge the thoughts and the attitudes. But, Lord, we want that because we want to be usable for you. Not because we want everything to be beautiful. Not because we want to have arrived. But because we want your will to be done. You to receive glory. Your kingdom to grow. Lord, I pray that that will be true in our hearts and in our minds today. Lord, we thank you for your word and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.